We are going to be in Acts 19 this morning, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 20. We're not going to get the whole section today. But I'll tell you, it's one of my, and I know I say this every week, okay? Guess what I'm going to say? It's one of my favorite passages, I know. It's every pastor. Whatever you're teaching that week, it's your favorite passage. But genuinely, this is one of those sections of Scripture that I find myself referring to in other studies often. Because we see both the good usual practices of Paul's ministry, like how he did ministry. And we see that, and we model a lot of what we do based on what Paul did, right? And you know who Paul was copying? Copy Jesus. <laughs> we model ourselves on Jesus, who really, we're imitating him as he imitates Christ, right? Like 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says. But what Paul does is he goes out and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jews and to Gentiles, he goes to the synagogue wherever he goes and he tries to explain to them that Jesus is the Messiah who is fulfilling all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. He is here and he desires to save you, Israel. But then he also went out to the Gentiles. We know that was predominantly Paul's ministry. The apostle to the Gentiles. That he would go out and tell everyone that yes, Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah. But his name is the power that saves and rescues from sin and death. Amen? And see, in this section, we see usual ministry and unusual miracles. <laughs> it's a very fun section because you go through the first section, you're like, okay, we know how to do this. This is cool. We know this. Then you get reminded of the power in the name of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, that should be the goal of every Sunday morning. We come into church and we're reminded of who Jesus is and what the Word says about the Lord. But we should be in awe and reverence of who the Lord is every time we leave this place, amen? That man, as we look at this room, the people that are here, each one of us have a testimony in how we came to the Lord, a very personal testimony. But yet, in some ways, it's very replicated from one to the other that it was, we once were blind, but spiritually, the Lord removed that blindness, and now we see the power in the name of Jesus, amen? To save and rescue from sin and death. And so this morning, if you're at Acts 19, say I'm there. Awesome. We're going to start with some usual ministry. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who comes after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And so right off the bat, what we have here is Paul showing up in Ephesus. And again, I can't get away from the maps, it turns out, okay? So what we have is Paul's third missionary journey here. And so we remember that he was in Antioch, that he took off from his second journey. He left Ephesus initially, and I'm um, Corinth, and he went down to Antioch, right? And we studied last week that a guy named Apollos showed up in Ephesus, remember? So this guy Apollos that we studied last week, he showed up in, in Ephesus. And remember who was there? Priscilla and Aquila. Remember that married couple, the tent makers? And they were there, and they poured in to Apollos just in the way they were pouring into the people at the church Ephesus. Because when Paul had come to Ephesus back in Acts 18 verse 19, he was preaching the gospel to them and they received it well. They actually heard it. They heard the power of the name of Jesus and they wanted in on it. 
They wanted to continue in those things. But Paul said, well, I have to get over to Jerusalem. And he said in Acts 19, or I'm sorry, 18.20, he said to them, I must by all means keep the feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. See, I love this because Paul saw there was ministry to be done in Ephesus, right? Back when he was there in Acts 18. But he knew that the Lord had called him to go and fulfill this vow down in Jerusalem to return to the church in Antioch and give them reports of his second missionary journey. But the Lord is so faithful. The things that he puts in our hearts for his glory, he brings them around in his timing, amen? I don't know if you guys have been there, but you try, you go, I know this is the Lord, I know this is the Lord calling me to this thing. And maybe, I, there's no doubt that there is, but it's just not the right timing, right? You try to push that door down, the Lord says, no, not right now. I have other things for you to do. And then at some point in his faithfulness, he says, now it's the season to come back to Ephesus. And that's where we have Paul today. He shows back up, and that's the third missionary journey. So, so far, he's going, leaving Antioch, and he's coming over, and he's coming into Ephesus. But I have to note this. Did you see in verse 1 that Apollos, <clears throat> he's over in Corinth. See, he was in, a, in, in Ephesus, and we said that he went over to Achaia last week, right? Achaia is this region where Corinth is. He became a prominent guy in the church because he testified of who Jesus was to the Jews, but also strengthened the Gentiles in grace. We talked about that, right? That balance. Can I tell you that the Lord had a plan to use the whole body for his glory? Amen? You have Apollos over here preaching the same thing that Paul preaches. Well, Paul is over here. And Paul is by no means probably thinking, oh man, I wish I was over in, in Corinth doing his ministry. He's in Ephesus with his own things that he needs to do. Excuse me. <clears throat> That's how you know it's going to be a good study when you can't breathe, right? Okay. So when, <laughs> when you have Paul in Ephesus now, the first thing that we see is he shows up into this city. And let me tell you something about this city. There was a temple to Artemis, who is also known to the Romans as Diana. And it was the goddess of fertility. And so you had a culture that was surrounded and entrenched in idol worship and a goddess of fertility. You can imagine what's going on at these temples, right? And then it's a place where there's great trade and great commerce. So you have money, right? Very much kind of like Corinth in this sense. And can I tell you, it's pretty much like the culture we live in. There's a culture of worshiping false gods. They may not be of wood and stone, right, in the sense that we think of, but I'll tell you, there's all kinds of gods being worshiped today in the same desire that they can somehow be filled and blessed through them. But can I tell you, we find out that only the name of Jesus has the power that will rescue and save and fulfill and bless and glorify. Amen? And so in this, in this place, I'll tell you, as dark as it was, that's why they needed the light of the gospel. Can I tell you this morning, just thinking about, it's, it's funny, I feel like every week we're living in like Matthew 24, 7 and 8, which talks about like the things that are going to come, like pestilence and like famine, earthquakes. I guess there was an earthquake in Georgia yesterday. That it, it, literally the headline was rare earthquake in Georgia, the state of Georgia. Like that's not a common thing, right? And then you have these like just crazy things happening. Can I just tell you, I know Jesus said, look, these are the beginnings of sorrows, right? It can get very dark out there. The world needs the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we want to be prepared. We want to do what we can do. But can I tell you, we got, we're here to preach the gospel. That's why we've been placed here. And that's why Paul, at this time in his ministry, 
is over in Ephesus. And God in his love wants to save all. That's why he has Apollos over in Corinth. <laughs> he says, I'm going to work in all these places that I may be glorified that people would trust in me. But it's interesting because when Paul shows up in Ephesus, it says that he meets some disciples there. And it's interesting because the word disciples is mathetes in the Greek, and it means a learner, a pupil, a disciple. And see, Luke only uses this word for believers in Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. But did you see what happened here? When Paul shows up, he asks them, right? He says, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? See, there's this aorist uh, participle in the Greek that means it's a fact, you believed. Paul's not talking about belief in some goddess. You believe in Jesus. But did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And see, that's very interesting because I think what this means, remember Apollos last week? He had heard of the baptism of John and knew that he needed to repent and maybe even that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. But he didn't understand what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ meant, the completed work of Jesus, and the access to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What we're seeing, I believe Luke included that passage at the end of Acts 18 to set us up for this passage in Acts 19. That we would see that there are believers, that they're accountable for what they know. They believe that they needed to repent. Does that make sense? They heard biblical truth. John's disciples came and told them, hey, you need to repent, the Messiah's here. Maybe even, hey, his name's Jesus. And they said, cool, he's going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We don't quite understand that, but we know it okay. That's what they're thinking at the time. Well, Paul comes over, and imagine talking to someone that says they're a believer, and I think we've all run into this. They believe in the person of Jesus from, bio, from the Bible, from Scripture. And they, they live a life that is repentant. But they have absolutely, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, let me just be clear, it's a blessing to have this, and people are missing out on a blessing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The power to work the spiritual gifts that testify of who God is. Have you guys seen this powerless Christianity around you? I've seen it. I've lived it. And it's interesting. At that time, Paul says, hey, there's something lacking here. I'm going to ask you. I hear you talking about Jesus. Have you been baptized into the Holy Spirit? And did you see their answer in verse 3? They said, or I'm sorry, yeah, in verse 3, they say, um, into John's baptism we've been baptized. And right before that, they said, we haven't even so much as heard about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a wild thing, because remember what John said in Matthew 3. First of all, he said, yes, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Be cleansed. But in Matthew 3.11, he said, there's one coming. Yes, I baptize with water, but there's one that's coming. He's going to baptize with that fire and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? What Paul's doing here is, hey, I think you got the first part of John's words, but you haven't connected the dots that Jesus had died for your sins. And through the power of the resurrection, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is now yours for the taking to glorify God. Amen? Again, not for your glory. <laughs> this is where we have to be careful because there's another set of churches out there that'll say the reason God wants to give you His Spirit is because you're so awesome. Okay? Can I be clear? You're not that awesome. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend everyone here. That's how we'll clear out the room for next week. Okay? We're all sinners. We needed Jesus Christ to come die in our place. Amen? And now we can be these vessels, like 2 Corinthians 4, 7 talked about. We are these earthen vessels with the glory of God, the gospel of God in us that we may prove to people that it's the power of God in us and not us. Because if anyone looks at us, man, you're a flawed, weak vessel. 
Can I tell you the good news? God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. God has chosen the foolish things to put to shame the things that are wise in the eyes of the world. And I'll tell you, as we get filled with the Spirit, man, it's such a blessing because, A, we are filled with the very thing we were made to have in us. Amen. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you no longer need to go hit the temple of Diana for fulfillment. <laughs> you no longer need to chase the commerce that's coming in through your city because you need that money to, the, to worship. The love of money I'm speaking of, right? Let's understand. The Lord's good to provide. We're talking like 1 Timothy 6.10 where the love of money leads us and into stray from the faith, right? We don't want that. When you are content in the Lord and filled with the Spirit, that is where you realize exactly what you were made for, amen? And so Paul's talking to these guys. He's like, hey, you know some stuff, but you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 4, he tells them that. He says, you need to believe upon Jesus Christ. And so look what happens in verse 5 through 7. It says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. <laughs> so imagine these guys. They're in Ephesus. They already believe on Jesus to some extent to what they know. I can tell you, I believe between verse 4 and 5, before, before Paul does anything, he's going to tell them exactly what the completed work of Jesus is. You, can we all assume that, right? That's what Paul does. <laughs> you can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you understand what Jesus has done for you, right? You have to understand that you were a sinner and you were separated from God because of the wages of sin, which is death. Amen? But Jesus, he came and that gift that's free to us, he paid the cost for. Dying in our place and when he rose again, Romans 1.4 tells us that that's how he declared to be the Son of God. If he would have stayed dead, we don't know if his words were true. But when he resurrected, it's because God the Father said, you're undeserving of death because you are perfect which means you never lied when you said that anyone that believes in you will not perish but has eternal life. Amen? That's why Jesus had to rise again. And the power that rose him from the grave is that power that is then ours as we are united through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And I love it because there's a reality where we see some different words used in Scripture regarding the Holy Spirit. We see this word in the Greek, this, this idea of para, right? P-A-R-A. -A. It's the idea of coming alongside of right? Like a paramedic or a paralegal, right? It's alongside something. And so in this case, the Holy Spirit was always there around us. Think about John 16, 8. It says that the Holy Spirit is there to convict the world of righteousness and sin and judgment, right? It was there. But Ephesians 1 tells us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there's this indwelling that happens. That term in the Greek is en, en, which is like in. I'm such a good scholar, right? En and in, right? That's basically Spanish. But here we are. It's the idea of this indwelling that's there. That's when you come to the Lord. And you now have the Spirit going from being next to you to being in you. But here we say the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And it's, it's this, this preposition is epi, E-P-I. Anytime you see that preposition in regards to the Holy Spirit, it is the coming upon of the Spirit that goes beyond the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's the, the pouring on it. Someone told me this week, I, I love this, they said it's like marinating the meat. I'm like, yes, exactly. You just let it sit in the, in the stuff, right? It's already flavorful. <laughs> but now it's sitting in this marinade and you have this Holy Spirit upon you. And why is it there? Not for your glory, for the glory of God. 
And it's where the gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to come flowing out of you. And they testify of who the Lord is. They edify the body. They glorify God. And we're blessed as we walk in them. Amen? And so these are the words that we see throughout the original language. It's funny, you would miss it if you just read this in English. You would think, okay, so they didn't have the Spirit before and now they have it in them. No, it's upon them now. The Spirit was there when they believed upon Jesus for what they were responsible to know. Like Luke 12, 48 says, you have to believe, you're accountable to believe the things that you've been taught already. But now you've been taught more that there's access into this baptism of the Holy Spirit that you can actually go out and be used as this vessel overflowing with the glory and the power of the name of Jesus for His glory. Amen? I hope that makes sense. Because if you look at that, it's funny, it's one of those sections that commentators... You could start arguments all day at any church. We'd go to any other church and they'll be like, those guys weren't saved when Paul got there. Others will say, no, they were saved. Look at this. Can I tell you the important thing here? These guys are long dead now. I'm sorry, that's a bummer to say. But <laughs> you have to decide what this means to you today. If you say, oh, were those guys saved or they're not saved? Take a look at your life and say, have I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Forget the arguments and all getting lost in the, in the, in the, in the weeds over here. Bring it back to home. Bring it to your heart. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? Can I tell you, there's many people that ritualistically practice Christianity, but they have not received the Holy Spirit to the point of overflow. We need it to operate and walk out the good works that God prepared beforehand. Amen? It's an important thing to recognize. If I haven't got it, I need it. And can I tell you what's so cool? The Lord's good to give it. It's available and right now. The same way the mercy and grace is available as Hebrews 4.16 talks about. You can walk in and obtain it and receive it. Pray this morning. We'll pray before we're done here that the Lord would just pour out His Spirit. Amen? And so it's interesting in that section though, it says that Paul laid hands on them and they, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But did you notice the verse before that? They were baptized in verse 5. You have a water baptism in verse 5, it seems. And you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in verse 6. And this is interesting because these guys said they already got baptized in the baptism of John the Baptist. They said, oh, I know I need to repent. Can I tell you, I've seen this in church where people get baptized a second time in their life. The first time, maybe they got baptized with like an infant in like a different religious system, right? They just were forced to get baptized as a kid. Peer pressure. Maybe their friends got baptized at a summer camp. They're like, I'll get baptized too because this is the cool thing to do right now, right? Then that real relationship with Jesus Christ, that inward relationship happens. And they say, man, I want to proclaim this with this outward expression again in sincerity. Does that make sense? I believe that's what we're seeing here. These guys go, yeah, we were water baptized showing we need to repent, but now we want to be baptized in that baptism that unites us with Jesus Christ in the sense that when he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he was raised up, we were resurrected with him as Colossians 2.12 says. Does that make sense? So remember, there's, there's this idea of baptism always showed the need to repent and to, to be cleansed. But once Jesus rose again, it, it had a new significance to it. That man, I am now united with him. I am identifying with the work of Jesus. He took on my sin that I might become the righteousness of God. That's a wild thing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us it's a fact. But we express that outwardly through water baptism. But we've said this before. Some people can go get water baptized for the wrong reason. How do we know it takes? That's what's so beautiful about the Holy Spirit, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's no denying that this was real. See, they got water baptized in sincerity, and then Paul lays hands on them, prays over them, and now they're speaking in tongues? That's supernatural. 
Yes, I know some people can fake the tongues, okay? <laughs> That's weird. That's a weird experience when you see people just faking tongues to fit in. But can I tell you at this point, these guys are, are here with Paul. They've never probably even experienced such things. And they just start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And in the book of Acts, we see it a few different times. In Acts 2, it was used to show people that God was fulfilling his word of Joel 2. That his maidservants and his servants, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them. And everyone looked at these fishermen and tax collectors and said, how in the world are they speaking in these different tongues? It proved that the message of Peter was true, amen? In Acts 10, Cornelius. Gentiles have no place in this new outpouring of the Spirit, right? Well, then Acts 10 happens, and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. It was an immediate supernatural sign to show people that even Gentiles were included in the plan and the message of the Lord. Amen? And now here, we see people that had this somewhat partial knowledge, I would say a lacking knowledge of the work of Jesus, but when they believe in sincerity in the work of Jesus, he's good to meet them where they're at. And I'll tell you in Ephesus, this validated the message of Paul. Last note on this. We do not believe that the gift of tongues is something you must receive to prove that you're born again. There's many gifts of the Spirit, amen? And here's the deal, though. At this time, if you had the gift of pastor-teacher, how do you prove that in the moment that you got that? You kind of have to work on those things. You kind of got to learn these things. Like, who knows if you really have that? This is a supernatural gift that in that moment, God used to prove that Paul's message was true. For all of us, we all have different gifts, and maybe you have that gift of tongues, and we don't believe that's a dead gift. It's a live gift. Some of us may not have that. You have other gifts, though. And as you walk those things out, people go, there's something different in you. That vessel that used to be broken and messy, still kind of is, right? But now you have this good glory in it that's coming out and proving, man, the message of Jesus Christ is real and true, amen? The power of the Spirit in us is crucial for the church. Otherwise, we have a dead, lifeless church. And so many people are walking out in ritualistic practices this morning. We need the Holy Spirit, amen? Last note, I said last note once, but I'll say it again. Last note on this. <laughs> Chuck used to always say this, Pastor Chuck. He used to say, I don't care how high you can jump in the Spirit. I care how straight you can walk when you land. I love that. Some people go, well, I want these big, like, obvious, crazy signs, these big gifts. I'll tell you, obedience is the joy of the believer. And obedience, man, it shows people that you believe what you preach, amen? <laughs> Practice what you preach. The Lord is good to give you the gifts that you need for every season and every place. But man, he validates and proves his message through a spirit-filled believer, amen? And so, look at verse 8 through 10. We see Paul continue ministry in Ephesus. It says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So we have Paul show up, instructs these guys that knew of the baptism of John and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't understand the completed work. They believed it, the Holy Spirit, they're baptized in it, right? Now he goes back to that pattern. Again, Paul doesn't ignore the Jews, even though his ministry is the Gentiles, right? He goes over to the Jewish synagogue, and it says for months, right? For three months. He spoke boldly to them, reasoning and persuading. That's the idea of he's conversing with them and dialoguing with them. 
But did you see what he was talking about? It's interesting. He spent three months here. A lot of times he spends like one or two, three Sabbaths in the synagogue. He had three months here. That's a good set of time, right? He gets into what's called here the kingdom of God. I think that's interesting. I think when Paul first gets into a synagogue, the first thing he talks about is that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the most important thing. You have to understand he came and what that means. John 1.29 says that he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That even you Israelites, you Jews, you must believe upon him in faith. Amen? That would be what Paul would initially preach. But when he gets more time there, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And what I believe that's talking about is eschatology of sorts. The plan for the Messiah to redeem Israel. The kingdom that will come upon this earth. We believe that Jesus is indeed going to establish a millennial reign here on this planet. Amen? That's what we believe as a church. And if that's weird, I get it. Sorry, but it's what's biblical to us. <laughs> and as we look at this, it says, he was telling them about this. I could imagine the Jews are tracking with Paul to some extent so he starts to get into eschatology. <laughs> the study of end times. That's what that word means, right? We talk about eschatology, and it's kind of funny as a pastor, when I talk about eschatology, sometimes there's a glaze that happens. People are like, that's weird. How do you know these things? Well, the Word of God talks about these things. I, I didn't know these things until the Spirit of the Lord and the Word of God revealed these things. But you can imagine, in that place, they're like, okay, this is getting weird, Paul. You think the guy that was killed, crucified for our sins, you think he's going to show back up on this mount and he's going to deliver the whole nation of Israel? He didn't deliver us from the Romans when he was here the first time, and you think he's somehow going to reign over the whole earth? Imagine the, the, the cynicism. It's still there today. If you were to talk to a practicing Jew about who Jesus is, they think you're insane. And so Paul's telling them these things, and he, for three months, imagine going there every week. You're like, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to go tell these people, and they're going to shake their head at me and think I'm crazy, but I'm going to keep going. But at some point, the Lord had a window of time for Paul to be in there. And at some point, that window kind of closed, and it was proven because they didn't just like, simply like, not believe. They began to oppose the way it's called, right? That's how we refer to the Christian church in its infancy. The way was those that believe upon the way of Jesus Christ, right? So it's not enough to just say, I don't believe you, Paul. It's another thing to go out and say, man, we want to beat Paul up for this. We want to kick Paul. We want to silence the voice of Paul. Can I tell you, this is happening all the time today with the gospel, and I'll tell you, it proves the validity of the gospel. You can go out right now and talk about any other religion out loud and people will kind of just ignore it, even if they think you're crazy. But you bring up Jesus as the only way, the only truth, the only life that can give you access to the Father. It's offensive. It proves that there's power even when you don't believe it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who's being saved, it is the power for salvation. The name of Jesus is powerful. It's offensive to mankind. There's a reason that people like take his name in vain and not Buddha's, right? You don't drop something, oh, Buddha, right? They don't say that. <laughs> if they get mad, they say Jesus' name. There's power in that name, and they don't understand it. It's spiritually discerned. The carnal man, the natural man, cannot understand these things. And as Paul's preaching, at some point, it gets to the point where it seems like he says, well, I've got to go somewhere. I can't go to synagogue anymore. Where does he go? He goes to the school of Tyrannus which means school of tyrant in the original language. Who wants to go to that school, right? The tyrant that runs it. But maybe you called your teachers tyrants when you were a kid. I don't know. But this guy had a reputation, and it was a school. It sounds like it was some kind of just instructional, educational institution. And I love it. Paul says, I got to do ministry. I'll go wherever I need to go to do it. 
I tell you, that kind of spoke to me on a lot of practical levels this week as I'm negotiating. Where do we go, Lord? What do we do? We need a building. We need this. Like, I'm setting out. I, right there, I hit up the school district. Like, let's revisit that idea. School. The school of Tyrant. Maybe there's a school in McKinney we can go to. I don't know. But the heart is like, I don't care where we're at, right? We just got to be somewhere where we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This dark world needs it. We'll preach it anywhere we can. And it happens to be at a hotel right now. <laughs> For Paul, it was like, well, we went into the synagogue. We can't go there. I'm going to find a school in town. But see, think about a school. You usually have school hours to work around, right? You can't meet on a Monday through Friday schedule from like 8 to 3 at a school because there's people there. Well, it says that he did this daily at the school. And see, in their culture, in Ephesus, historians show that they took a siesta. <laughs> like uh, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., work shut down and everyone went home for an extended lunch break. That sounds like a good plan to me, by the way. But you, what you would do is you'd work in the morning till it got warm, go home, you'd eat lunch, you'd take a big long nap, hang out with the family, go back to work and finish in the evening. Well, it's funny because Acts 20, 34 through 35, Paul said, well, he was in Ephesus, he worked with his own hands. So he's working in the morning all day long, like any other blue collar person. Then while everyone else goes and rests and sleeps, Paul's at that time likely going to the school and teaching for four or five hours. And then when work starts again, he goes back to work. And he does that for two years. I think that's incredible, the determination, the grit, if you will, of Paul. <laughs> this is a man that understood that he owed his life a living sacrifice to the Lord. Just the hard work, the, the desire to fulfill. I think when he wrote 2 Timothy 2.15, right? He said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. No one could ever accuse Paul of being lazy. I tell you, there's nothing worse to me than a lazy church. Just talking about like in the idea of not wanting to tell people about the Lord. Man, let's get out there. Any way we can do it, let's tell them. Amen? And it's awesome because we know in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, The Lord gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I quote that verse because you have to think if he's writing to them about it, he's already told them about that. He's reminding them. When I was with you teaching you daily, I told you, you guys have gifts in the Lord that you would go out and minister unto the kingdom, that you would tell the world that, man, Jesus is the Messiah and he is Lord. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So go do it. And he's making disciples. He's growing disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our mission as Calvary Chapel McKinney. There's a reason we get together on Sunday morning and you don't get my opinion, hopefully. You get the Word of God. We instruct you through the Word because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. As you grow in it, you will be told and shown by the Lord the things that convict your heart what you should do next. Amen? And can I just tell you, the Word of God, it works in your heart for His glory. So many times people want to read the Word of God and then apply it in a way that's for their own glory. It's important to use scripture to interpret scripture, amen? Just a side note, not in my notes, but I see this happen all the time. People will say, we teach the Bible verse by verse, okay, but we don't believe any of it's real or true. You're like, well, that's, that's a problem. There's no power in that. It says what it says. It means what it means. Yes, there's poetry. Yes, there's prophecy. But can I tell you, there is a meaning for why the Lord put it in there, and it's to glorify him, amen? When we respond to it rightly, we're just blessed for it. The world will be testified that there is truth in the message of Jesus Christ and power 
in the name of Jesus. Amen? So we have the usual ministry, but look at verse 11 and 12. We start to see unusual miracles. <laughs> it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. What? Like, <laughs> I don't know. You read that for the first time with fresh eyes. You're like, are you serious now? Handkerchiefs and aprons? Okay, so this is kind of an interesting section. This is another one of those sections where I just love it. Because you could try to spiritualize this as much as you want to. Well, they weren't really aprons. They weren't really handkerchiefs. What that does is it really diminishes what your faith is in the power of God to work through even the lowliest and weakest things. And I don't know, that's God's whole plan is to work through lowly things, amen? These, these aprons, these, these handkerchiefs, it's interesting. It says that God worked in unusual ways, unusual miracles. If a miracle is not unusual enough, right? These are unusual. <laughs> Keep that in mind. God's not saying, this is how I work every day. <laughs> There's televangelists late night on TV that'll tell you God works like this by selling you a prayer cloth, right? Peter Popoff, I believe his name. I don't have a problem calling that dude out, right? Look at This guy sends you a free prayer cloth. Gets, he wants your mailing address. He sends you a prayer cloth. And then after you write in for it, he knows you're, like, you're, you're dying for, for an answer to prayer if you've written in, right? Now he's got you. Then he sends you a second later and says, hey, you know the number of the Lord, right? It's the Trinity 3 and then the number 7. So $37. Send me $37 of seed money, faith seed money. And then I'll bless the cloth again for you. And that'll work for sure. And people send in their $37. And then three months go by and he sends another letter and says, actually, you know what? John 3.16 is the verse. Send me $316 and you'll be blessed. You see the pattern here, right? You keep sending in. It's like publisher sweepstake, right? You keep sending in, they keep getting you. And this, this guy has no qualms about doing these things. He's trying to take the desperation of people and cash in on it. And sadly, people are not familiar enough with the Word of God to think this isn't an unusual thing. That's not how the Lord works. It's not usual, right? I said that in this. Now, can he work through something? Yes, he can, right? I think about the hem of the garment of Jesus. I think that was what, Mark 5.28. The woman with that flow and issue of blood, she said, if only I can touch the garment, the hem of his garment, I believe he will heal me. It wasn't that the garment would heal her, right? But I just need, that's, my faith is in Jesus Christ, but if I can just touch it, somehow the Lord met her in her desperation, in her kind of odd superstition of sorts. Man, I, can't, I can tell you, there's no way the Lord left her in that place. Remember, the Lord stopped. And he said, hey, someone touched me. Power went out of me. And what he said, he called her over. And he ministered to her. It began with this weird kind of faith in like the hem. But the faith was always in Jesus Christ, amen? See, the difference here is that that's still unusual. We only saw Jesus do that one or two times. It said at one point there was another time where like power was going out of him, right? But... Two times in all of his ministry, anything close to that's mentioned. That's unusual. It's not routine. But he's done these things. And the reason I believe that he might be doing this here in Ephesus is because the people were highly superstitious. The people were into magic and sorcery. The people were entrenched in weird traditions. But can I tell you how good the Lord is? He was willing to come down and meet them in their filthy, like weird superstitions but he didn't leave them there. He desired that he would pull them and rescue and save them out of those superstitions, amen? The Lord will meet people in odd, odd places, but it's not his goal to leave them there. 
The goal is to get you to understand the power of Jesus. And imagine what people are thinking when handkerchiefs and aprons are healing the sick. Like, what? From Paul's brow? He's working on tents all morning, we said, right? Wipes his head. And I don't know if this began by someone jacking one of those and thinking like it was powerful, right? I don't know. Did Paul actually promote this and mail them out or something? I don't, I don't know what this looks like. That's why it's unusual. And they would take it. It said even evil spirits. Did you catch that? Exorcisms. Demonic spirits were leaving people because they put their faith in the one that was associated with the message of the guy who wiped his face with the handkerchief. That's crazy that the Lord would be willing to work through these things. But can I tell you, the Lord Jesus put on flesh, came down to our human level, lived a perfect life, and died in our place. He didn't have to do that, amen? But when you understand that, you understand what that represents, and that there's a glory to come that is so much greater than this earth where he came to meet us. And it's such an exciting thing to know that the Lord is willing to speak, willing to work, but don't fall into buying prayer cloths. That's my message, I guess, okay? Don't do that. Look at verse 13 through 16, because we see there's counterfeits, right? Look at these counterfeits here. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's too far removed, we'll see. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? That's bad news. <laughs> then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they, they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Oh, man, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you leave the fight without the clothes you were wearing, you lost that fight. Like, that is gnarly, right? They leave naked. Oh, my gosh. But in this section, it says that there were these itinerant Jewish exorcists. You say, well, who are these guys? That word itinerant, it means that they were, it can be translated as vagabond. I like that. Just guys that are bouncing around town to town, right? Just salesmen. I believe, guys that will go wherever they can cash in on some magic trick and then hit the road the next day. No accountability to the people, just run, right? These guys come through and it's like they add the name of Jesus to their bag of tricks. They go, oh, I heard that work, that guy Paul over there, he uses this, he's wiping his face with aprons. We could probably do something like that, right? We're, it's like the magicians in Egypt, right? We could copy the works of Moses and Aaron, we can do all these things. That only works so far, right? At some point they couldn't replicate it. One of the funniest things in Egypt, side note, is when they turn the water to blood to mimic what the Lord did. That always cracks me up, like, you guys turned your water to blood? Like, that was a terrible idea, right? Like, you just hurt yourself by trying to outdo the Lord. And in this case, these guys are going to hurt themselves, trying to mimic what the Lord does. See, the outcome's always going to be the same. When we try to go out in our flesh without the power of Jesus Christ and pretend that we're doing the work of the Lord, you're going to get whooped, <laughs> I'm just being real with you. Whether that just be on a level of you're exhausted and beat down, or if you have no relationship with Jesus, but you're using it to milk people, like so many Peter Popoffs in the world, right? Where you're using the name of Jesus to make some personal gain. Because let's be clear, these guys showed up not to help people. It was to stroke their own ego. It was to show that, oh man, I'm so cool, and I'm so powerful, and to make money on the people that were suffering. I tell you, the Lord is not okay with these things. 
I think about Isaiah 1.17. It says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow and rebuke the oppressor. Right? The Lord says, these are the things you should do. When people come out, and not only are they cheating people, but they're using the name of Jesus to do it. That's a whole other level of judgment. That's like millstone judgment, right? To stumble those little ones, someone that's trying to look for hope, and they have the name of Jesus, and they're misusing it. But look at what happened here. Again, they show up, and it says that many of these people walk around saying this phrase, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> and then it says, yeah, there were even seven sons of Siva that did this. It says Siva was a Jewish chief priest. Some commentators say Luke included that almost in jest because we don't have any other like, reference to Siva being a chief priest. Some people think maybe he called himself that because he showed up in town and was like, I'm so important, I'm a chief priest. Don't check my resume or anything, but I'm so important, right? And people are like, ooh, he's powerful. That could be the case. We don't know. Maybe he was a chief priest, but whatever it is, we know this. His sons did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ nor the power to exercise this, name in the na or this demon in the name of Jesus, right? They thought that they could, and I love it that it's the number of seven. <laughs> the number of completion. The absolute complete strength of seven grown men. They walk in and they say, hey, you know what? Uh, that, that, that name, Jesus, that Paul knows about, we're going to use that name, so come on, out of, come on out of this person. And I just love this. This is as terrifying as this is. What does that spirit say? It says the spirit, right? The evil spirit answered. Jesus I know. Paul I know but who are you? In the Greek, let me give you a breakdown of how we can translate this a little better because that word know has two different uses in this section, in this sentence. The Spirit essentially said this, Jesus I have experienced. With Paul I am acquainted, but who are you? <laughs> That's a terrifying statement. Basically, this guy says, no. This Spirit says, I'm not afraid of you. You don't have the power of the name of Jesus. And what happens, they get a severe beat down where they leave naked and, in some translations, bloodied and battered. The word there for battered or for beaten, uh, it is, uh, I want to give you the right word, traumatizo. Where we get the word traumatized. <laughs> These guys were traumatized. They went in all strong. There's seven of us. We're going to beat this guy up with the name that Paul preaches. They're like, oh my gosh, we're naked now and beaten and bloodied. And see, in that, there's a couple things that happened here. Truth was revealed twofold. First of all, you better have the power of the name of Jesus if you're going to go out and do things like this. <laughs> but second, I don't think anyone understood the power of the darkness that was in their midst in their society. Can I tell you today, we all know this because we were in the world and we thought we were good people. <laughs> but we look back on the things we participated in, the things we did, the motivations in our heart. Once we come to Jesus, we go, man, that was absolutely evil. And I was in bondage to it, completely enslaved to it. And I didn't know it until the name of Jesus came and proved himself to be true. Amen. Look at the last section here. This is where we see the revival in town. Look at 17 through 20. This is where we end. It says, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them. And it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. <laughs> 
the Lord was using his, bless you, the common ministry and the uncommon miracles to testify to the world that the message of Paul was true. You see in verse 17, it says that everyone in Ephesus, both Jew and Greek, they heard about this. Could you imagine? If, I don't know, I think that would probably still make the news today. If seven really important, like, I don't know, some important religious people that the world renowns goes out and gets whooped by a guy that's filled with the spirit of a, of a demonic, like a demonic spirit, right? That would be insane. I think that would maybe make some news. Maybe not all the news these days, but it would be somewhere. We'd hear about it. Everyone in that region, they don't have Twitter. They don't have Instagram, right? Everyone's talking about this because they're like, we've never seen anything like this. But think about what they've seen so far. They said seven grown men that are supposed to be highly religious, important guys, supposedly. They get beat up when they go over there. But yet aprons and handkerchiefs associated with the name of Jesus are casting out the same kind of demonic spirits. This validates the message of Jesus Christ, amen? It validates that there is power in the Lord to use lowly things <laughs> that the world would never suspect, as unusual as it may be, in that place, that's the way that the Lord met these people. But did you see what happened here in this section? They, they said, man, this is dark. The stuff that we're involved with, they come and it says that they confessed it, right? I believe it's in verse 18. They confessed and told their deeds. Can I tell you the most, like, the most immediate thing we do when we come to Jesus Christ is to confess that we're sinners. Is to acknowledge that we have been entrenched in darkness Amen. We want to repent, turn the other way from the things that we were involved with. Amen. And see, what they confessed and these deeds they confessed to, remember, they were involved with magic. Don't think like, like, like I don't know, some magic set you buy at Disneyland or something. They're not talking about that kind of magic sleight of hand card tricks. They're talking about sorcery. They're talking about demonic spirits empowering and giving wisdom and knowledge to people. Evil wisdom. But actually, it's, they're entrenched in complete darkness. And when they realize that, they say, dude, we don't want to get beat up like those guys did. We're in over our heads in this sin. And the message of Paul seems to triumph over these things. I'm going to bring all of my books, all of my things that are keeping me in the darkness of this world, and I'm going to burn them. <laughs> this reminds me of just the Lord's seriousness to get away from sin. We believe absolutely in the grace of God, amen? We all need the grace of God. But we talked about the obedience being the joy of the believer. There are churches today that will only talk about grace because it feels good today. Grace is awesome, and we need it, and it's what brought us into this relationship. But can I tell you, there's a way to insult the spirit of grace according to Hebrews 10.29. Romans 6.2 says, don't continue in sin. You have died to those things. Leave those things. I'll tell you this morning from a practical standpoint, I won't get into any weird details with you guys, but I'm going to tell you this. I know the Lord called me to destroy and burn things when I came to Him. And I know He's telling you to do the same. And it may look very different this morning, the things that I battled versus what you're battling. You may have been in the Lord for 20 years now. But this morning, if the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart and saying, you've got to get away from this thing, you'll be better for it, amen? Colossians 3.5, it tells us, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We have a tendency, and he's writing to believers in Colossians, right, in Colossae about this. He says, you need to put these things to death. Are you believers? Yes, you are. But now you need to live like it. 
because you're only harming yourself and your witness to the world. Jesus, if he has the power to destroy demons in people and cast them out, he has the power to deliver you from that habitual sin that you've been stuck in. Amen? Again, this might not be for anyone here. It might be for someone online, all the sinners online, not the sinners in this room, right? <laughs> but it, it's the reality. We all have things. Even as we come to the Lord, the Lord's constantly refining us, right? Jesus told his disciples in Luke 14, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And I just think about that. Man, if the Lord calls us to give something up, can I tell you? It's not only for his glory, it's for our best interests as well. Those things that we hold on to, they're just going to hold us back. They're just going to limit our growth in the Lord. They're going to limit our testimony and our witness to the world. These people came out and no one forced them to. I love this. There was no law that was passed that said they had to do this. It wasn't legislated. This was a heart change because they experienced and believed Jesus and they said, we want to lay these things down and burn them. And what was the total cost? Did you see that? 50,000, yeah, pieces of silver. So commentators say that's somewhere between one and five million dollars, but in, in Mr. Biden's economy, that's probably 10 million dollars. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm serious. I'm sorry. Don't hear. I hope he's okay from the bike fall. I really don't it, it wish any harm on him. Like, he's our president. But, sorry. So here's the deal, though. That's a lot of money in any economy. Can I tell you, they counted the cost and they burned those things. They said these things aren't worth it to us. Could we resell them? We could. But then someone else will have to deal with these things. <laughs> Burn them. What if we just put them out on the curb? No, someone else will get them. Use them. Get rid of it. For the glorification of God and the edification of the body and testimony of the world and for the sake of everyone around you. Burn these things. <laughs> and I love it. I always have to give this disclaimer. I'm not, husbands, don't go burn your wives or something crazy. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, oh, this thing stumbles me and makes me mad. No, that's not what we're talking about. I'm spiritually, and you think I'm crazy. That's how the crusade started, okay? I'm telling you, spiritually there are things that the Lord is telling you to lay down. I joke, but you know what I mean here. Whatever the Lord's telling you, can I tell you what happens when we do these things, when the church does this? Did you see what happened in verse 20? The word of the Lord grew mightily and it prevailed. When a church is filled with the Spirit, when the church obeys the word of the Lord and the voice of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, in their life, the name of the Lord is enlarged. It goes out and people see the church. You can't tell you what the people want. They want in on what we have. If we're going by with like this lifeless relationship with Jesus that no one even knows about, no one wants in. Can I tell you, as you go out with the word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, not just by your cool things that you do, like burning up things that you're, you used to be into, right? You have to tell people why you're doing those things. The word of God brought many people in Ephesus, man. We see there's like a revival there, amen? The same thing would happen here in our town, in our nation. If the church stepped up, and really, I believe, in the Lord's timing, if the church in all sincerity got serious about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and crucifying sin in their life. And I'm guilty. I'm the first one guilty of these things. Please know this. This is not me shouting at you. I'm part of this. We got to make sure that, man, when the Lord lays something on our heart, and obey it. Amen? We'll be blessed for it. And go out in the power of the Spirit. Why don't we stand and we'll come before the Lord in prayer.